0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the
1: Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins, taking over hosting duties for Dave Griffiths, who is down in Florida today. With me, as always, is Mike Chappell. Mike, how are you?
0: Doing good. How are you?
1: Oh, I can't complain. We're getting closer and closer to the draft. Actually, exactly two weeks away from my favorite event of the year, So uh, I'm happy and today on the show we're going to explore different mock drafts in our weekly mock draft roundup, see who the quote-unquote experts believe the Colts are going to take. We'll break down this year's defensive end class, defensive end position of need for the Colts. There are several good options through multiple rounds for Indianapolis, but first we will start with the news of the week. And there's been a couple defensive ends who have been signed up in free agency, the most notable Being Jadavion Clowney, he signed a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns. It has $7 million guaranteed with up to $10 million in incentives. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reported that the Colts were among the teams, quote, keeping tabs on Jadavion Clowney. Um, Obviously, the Colts have a need at pass rusher. One of their options is gone, although us here on the podcast never really considered Jadavion Clowney to be a serious option for Indianapolis Another option who's off the board is Aldon Smith. He has signed with the Seattle Seahawks today, Thursday, on a one-year deal. The details of that contract uh, I have not seen come out yet, but he is no longer an option for Indianapolis. Few veteran defensive end options remain. One of them is Justin Houston, who spent the last two years and has been very productive for the Colts. He visited the Ravens on Wednesday um, no, no report has come out that he's agreed to a contract with them quite yet. Jermerse said on Wednesday that Houston could still come back. Uh, while Ursay was on a conference call, he made that comment. A couple other veteran free agent defensive ends still out there are Melvin Ingram, formerly with the Chargers, and then Ryan Kerrigan, uh, the longtime Washington player uh, who you know out of the University of Purdue. So, Mike, looking at looking at this defensive end class here. Do you think it's likely the Colts sign a defensive end before the draft or wait until after so they can see who they can get during uh, the April 29 draft?
0: Yeah, I think we're sort of in that period now where they're in a holding pattern, whether it's a pass rush or whether it's a left tackle, until you see what the draft gives you. I, I just think that's kind of uh, the, the phase they're in. Having said that, if, if they do as we hope and, and anticipate, And get an edge pass rusher, I just don't think that rules out signing a veteran guy. I still think, you know, you've got a better grasp on what this draft class is all about. But it seems like every one of them, you you give their good traits and there's always a but at the end of the sentence. He's got potential but. he, He had concussion issues. He opted out of last year, whatever. Uh, and the the kid from Michigan is it is it Quitty Pay? Yeah, I think he had like less than ten sacks in his career. So so all these none of these guys there's no Boza, you know type of guy who who you know is going to be a, a stud guy at the next level. So I think whoever they get maybe he's a project, uh, but I I just wouldn't rule out. No matter what to do in the draft, still bring in a veteran guy. Now we talked about Clowney. One year, ten million dollars. They they weren't going to do that. That's not been their mo uh, for any one year contract, uh, other than I guess Devin Funchess was. But but uh, so again, I I think a veteran guy is still in the mix. And again, when Jim Mora say, says stuff like that, it's because it's been mentioned in meetings. It's, it's he's not just throwing stuff against the wall. So I I think I think we can see a veteran guy, but they still need to, as we'll get into, they still need to address this in the draft. Because they need a young talent as a pass rush threat.
1: Yeah, and they need the pass rush, and they also need the offensive tackle. And it almost seems to me like they're waiting until after the draft to sign whatever position they didn't feel like they addressed well enough through the draft. You know, if they get the left tackle they really wanted in the first round, okay, now we can go and sign have that money to sign for a veteran defensive end. Uh, if they didn't get the offensive tackle... Maybe, you know, that money instead goes to a Villanueva, Russell O'Coon, guys we've talked about uh, in shows past, especially last week's show where we really broke down the offensive tackles. But it kind of seems like a wait and see for Colts, and they'll just hopefully sign whatever veteran position they didn't feel that they addressed through the draft. Mike, I, I did want to ask you here, you know, Clowney, $7 million guaranteed, it's an $8 million contract, and then an extra $2 million in incentives to get it up to a possible Ten million, if everything goes right for Clowney and the Browns. Given that, what do you think Houston's contract would be in Indianapolis or elsewhere?
0: That's a good question again, because it's going to be, you know, like the third wave of free agency, and we're getting to the point after the draft where most teams are are sort of out of cap money, cap space. Again, you can always do what you, do strange things with the cap, but th- this will be the the buyer's market. The players are going to sort of have to take what they can get. Now, you don't want to – you know it would be wrong for the Colts to go to Houston and say, you know, how about one year, $2 million. Well, that's a a that's slap in the face. It is, and he might come back with some, some choice words for him. But just be respectful and give him a reasonable contract. I don't know, $6 million? it's just hard to say because it, it, there is the age issue, but there's also the fact that he's – you know what he is. You know what you got. You knew what you're going to get. When he's on, he's a pretty good player. There were too many times last year – I shouldn't say too many. There were a few times last year where he was just a non-factor, where his stat line was, was zero. You had to check to see if he played. But having said that, I still think that he offers a lot. They love the locker room leadership angle. And it's hard to put a price on that, but they think it's 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 very important. So I'm not until Justin Houston signs with Baltimore or somebody else, I'm not closing the door on him returning on him not returning here.
1: Yeah, and I think even if he does return, ideally for the Colts, he would become more of a rotational player, and some of their younger defensive ends would step up and take more of a dominant role on that defensive line. Moving on in the news here, the Ursay family and the Colts announced yesterday, which was Wednesday, an upcoming four-day virtual fundraiser to support Kicking the Stigma, an Ursay family initiative meant to bring awareness to mental health disorders and remove the shame that can be associated with them. The event will take place May 3rd through the 6th and will kick off National Mental Health Awareness Month. Each day will feature a different theme, and for more details, you can visit fox Fifty Nine or cbs4indy.com. The NFL clubs, clubs and team employees were uh, let known by the NFL that any employee who refuses a COVID-19 vaccination without, quote, a bona fide medical or religious ground will be barred from Tier 1 or Tier 2 status, which basically means they'll have restricted access within the team facility and not work directly with players kind of along those lines of vaccinations. That's for employees. For fans now, officials in Buffalo announced a full return to the Bills stadium for in-person attendance at Buffalo Bills games, but only if the fan has been fully vaccinated. No vaccine equals no entry. So, Mike, looking at it here, it appears that vaccines are going to be very key to the NFL, not only for their employees and who can be in the building and around uh, other individuals but also for fans who want to get back into the stands
0: yeah we talked to jim ursay a month or so, or so ago and he, and he said the, the hope and the goal is at lucas Oil to have full full fan access come august and september you know we'll see how that that goes as we sit here you know in, in mid-april because you know we're seeing spikes all over the place michigan and other states and, and we'll see how this thing goes but the fact that Vaccines have ramped up, and teams very, teams very much, and the league very much wants to get back to whatever normal was, if we, if we can remember that. But it's going to be a process, and as you've got in our outline here, we'll talk about. There's so much still uncertainty with the off-season programs, but but as you mentioned, what the team is, what the league's trying to do is, phase in to where let's let's address, the the, the operation of the building and make sure vaccinations are allowing people back in the building. But but the off-season workout programs, which start Monday, it's still very much up in the air, not not the plan, not the, how they're going to be run, but how teams are going to deal with them.
1: Yeah, very much up in the air. And then as to your point, the NFL and the NFL Players Association are still trying to find that common ground on how to handle off-season programs. The NFL's revised off-season program still includes a post-draft rookie minicamp, voluntary workouts, and a mandatory minicamp next month, despite the players' union's objection to in-person activities because of COVID-19 concerns. Uh, players with a few teams have already said no to voluntary phase of the off-season workouts, including the Broncos and the Seahawks. One issue that is going to be have to be handled somehow is that several players have workout bonuses in their contracts. And I know several key pack, uh, Packers players have these bonuses, including like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. That's not the case for the Colts. They don't have any players with uh, who get a bonus from these voluntary workouts. And the Colts are yet to announce their plans with these workouts. But Mike, what's kind of your take on all this? It seems like a lot of the players don't want to be in the building. Some of the players have been in the building throughout the offseason. Um, just to get, you know, a great place to work out and get uh, medicals done. What's your take on all of this?
0: Well, the one thing driving the the show up or not show up is is the off season is your workout bonuses. I saw a note where the Packers have five billion dollars invested in players in off season workouts, and like you said, they've got Aaron Rodgers, and I think it was I got my notes here. Uh, they've got eleven players who are due a, a, a bonuses of, of at least $100,000, you know, in, in Jacksonville, $3.7 million in workout bonuses. And, you know, the only way you get your bonus is to show up. You have to show up. I think it's for 90, 90% of the voluntary work. It's not like, well, I, I would have, but I, I, I couldn't because of my concerns over COVID or whatever. That doesn't fly. So it, it's, and it's, uh, as you mentioned, it's, uh, who are the teams that have uh, that have? Uh, it was Tampa. Let me look at my list here. Denver, Seattle, and the Seahawks, and then Tampa, and I believe the Detroit Lions have talked about the majority all either all or the majority of the players will stay away. Uh, but but we'll see, and we'll we'll see if the Colts make a statement. But the way the way it's set up right now, just to give a quick rundown. Everything starts next, next Monday. Phase one, it's a four-week run from August 19th to May 14th. And every, all meetings are, are virtual, and no on-field work is permitted. Uh, phase two is May 17th to May 21st, a four-day stretch. It's, it's, also, it's still voluntary. Meetings are virtual, but on-field drills will be allowed. It's no contact and it's a limited amount of time in the field. And that's when your post your the post draft rookie camp rookie minicamp is held. And then the one that really sort of you know ramps things up is phase three. That's May twenty fourth through June eighteenth. And that includes that those ten days of the OTAs and the mandatory. The only thing that's mandatory is that mandatory minicamp, normally in mid June, that finishes up the off season work. Meet, during that time, meetings will be allowed either virtually or in person, uh, with with the COVID uh, pro, the, the procedures and the protocol in, in place. But but the, the the players simply want everything virtual, everything, and we'll see how uniform that is across across the league. And and the problem you have, the 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 give and take you have, is. Teams, teams, and coaches want these players in the building. Uh, it, it, it's it, this is a time that they were sort of you know they can install things, they can change things. With the new head coach, the Colts have Carson Wentz. He he needs time with these players. You know, it's it's what we didn't have last year with with Philip Rivers coming in. They threw some in the off season, but, but the first time they got together as a team was in training camp which was a which was a reduced training camp so coaches want these veterans in here and they want the young players the new players the free agents the rookies they want these guys in here veterans probably don't see a need a crying need for off-season work but if I'm a, if I'm a one of the 53 to 90 players on the roster who are trying to make an impression trying to you know catch a coach's eye this is an invaluable time and and, and how you're going to have that that disparate you know approach of the veterans saying now we don't need it, although the ones with the, the the hefty workout bonuses will show up, and these younger players who say man I really need to be there because I'll be the first guy they let go when they start cutting because they, they I haven't had a chance to show them, so we we've still got some time before this is done, but. Uh, they can talk and talk and talk, but I don't see how there's a common ground between the NFL and and the Players Association because you're either there or you're not.
1: And, and part of this is the NFL is claiming that their team facilities are actually safer than working out on your own um, because, you know, you go to a public gym, who knows how often those people are tested and vaccinated and all that. And then also, um, I believe... Injuries are not guaranteed if you hurt yourself outside of the team facility. Correct. So that correct. So that would just be another risk that players are taking by working out on their own. Um, you know.
0: Yeah, you're not. You're not going to find a better, a, a, a more secure place to work out than a team facility because all the all the protocols in place. And again, you're protected if something happens. If you're working out at the local wire or, or 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 gym, you're sort of you run the risk now. It, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a minor deal, but, but for voluntary workouts, players get two hundred and seventy-five dollars a day. So four days a week, you get about a thousand dollars per week to work out. It's, it's not great money, but it's money. So uh, again, it's, it, it's crazy how things. The, the players have always have always sought less and less time required during the off season to be in a facility. Uh, they prefer to do things on their own, and, and I, again, I go back to back, back in the '80s and '90s, and maybe the early 2000s, and and teams had much much more hands-on with players, and players kind of got tired of it. You know, they're back in the day. Two a days meant two a days in pads. Now they limit the number of times total you can you can be in pads. So this will be this will be uh, I think by and large the the NFL Players Association that the membership favors the all virtual and we'll see you on the field in 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 August for training camp but this this is yet to be resolved at all and and again time's ticking uh, towards Monday
1: yep yep and you know of course some players have said well last year proved we can do it all virtual um I'm sure there's some players who might not have made a team who would argue otherwise, but, you know, I, I can kind of see both sides to this thing. Um, hopefully, there's a nice middle ground that can be met here, but we'll see how it all plays out. All right. NFL mock draft time. We have five mock drafts from experts uh, from several different platforms here. What we're going to go th- do is go through them just to see who they have the Colts taking, and then uh, me and Mike here will say who who we believe would be the best scenario to be drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. First up is a couple uh, mock drafts from NFL.com. First one here from Charlie Casserly, who has the Indianapolis Colts taking Florida wide receiver Kadarius Tooney with their first-round pick, 21 overall. His note, quote, "...with T.Y. Hilton heading into his potential Indy swan song, the Colts need to find his replacement." Tony gives him a speed receiver. Indianapolis could also choose to trade up or back in round one and target a left tackle. Uh, Another NFL draft or NFL.com mock draft is from Maurice Jones Drew, a former former rival there down in Jacksonville. Now, he has the Colts taking Virginia Tech offensive tackle Christian Dersaw. His note is uh, short and sweet. Quote, the Colts find Anthony Costanzo's replacement. Carson Wentz can now take a deep breath. All right. The last three here are actually two-round mock drafts. Uh, These experts here are putting out more and more rounds as we get closer to the draft. Mel Kuyper, he released his mock this week, and he had the Colts taking Miami defensive end Jalen Phillips. His note, a little more detailed here, says Phillips might be the best pure pass rusher in this class, but he needs to improve his all-around game. He also has some durability concerns. He had multiple concussions at UCLA before he transferred to Miami, which means his medical checks with teams are extremely important. And his medical check in Indianapolis, he wasn't able to participate in this past week because he tested positive for COVID 19. Um, So we'll have to wait to get those medicals on Phillips. His medical, I mean, if it wasn't for his uh, medical history, he might be a top 10 pick in this draft. Um, In round two, Mel Kuyper had the Colts taking Texas offensive tackle Sam Cosme. Note here, Cosme played both left and right tackle at Texas, and he looked like a future top 15 pick in 2019. I also think he could easily slide in to play guard. This pick is good value. Um, I believe the Colts have the 54th pick overall in the second round. Moving on here, CBS's Chris Trapasso has the Colts taking Michigan defensive end Quiddy Payne in the first round. His note is Payne is a rocked-up specimen with an ascending skill set. In the second round, Trapasso had the Colts taking Penn State tight end Pat Friermuth. I think that's the first time I've seen Friermuth mocked to the Colts there. But he could certainly use another weapon at tight end. Final mock draft on our list here is The Draft Network's Trevor Sykema. He has the Colts taking Oklahoma State offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins in round one. His note, Jenkins has played the last two seasons at right tackle, but he has experience at left tackle too. He and Quentin Nelson on the same side of the line spell so much destruction for opposing defenses. I like that word, destruction. That's what I want out of an offensive lineman in round two. Uh, Sikama had the Colts taking Washington defensive end Joe Tryon. So he has the Colts going need-need offensive tackle, defensive end in rounds one and two. Mike, of these five mock drafts here, which one do you think would be the best case scenario for the Colts?
0: I kind of like Mel Kuypers getting the pass rusher uh, at at 21. And I've seen Cosme being a late first-round pick. In, in some, in, in a few, not a lot, but in a few, whether he'll still be there at fifty-four, I don't know. Uh, so, so I, I guess the way I look at it is, the offensive tackle group seems deep enough that you're more apt to get a, a, a quality player at fifty-four in round two than flipping it and get your get your left tackle at at twenty-one and, and try to find that guy in round two as a pass rusher. Uh, but it all depends on how Chris Ballard has these guys ranked. I think that, and maybe it, maybe next week or whatever we can talk more about this, the fact that there's going to be these options of a Phillips or a Cosme or a, a Jenkins or Notre Dame's uh, Liam Eikenberg at, at 21, it just feels like this is a perfect opportunity to trade back. Not out of the first round. Let's not go crazy. But trade back five or six spots. Maybe recoup that third round pick that went to Philly for Carson Wentz and still get a guy that is maybe the same level as what you would have got at 21. It just seems like that both positions are deep enough with similar type players. You know, I certainly, if there's a guy at 21 that you're just in love with and you say this is a 16 game starter, then you take him and you don't try to Slide back just to get a third round pick, although a third round pick is going to give you a pretty good player. But I, I like the idea of, of of what Mel did now, whether it's Phillips or or whomever, I don't know. But I like the idea of maybe getting the pass rusher first and the tackle second, even though I think tackles is, is the more pressing need. I I really do. I just I think it's it's I'll, at the, at the hill I'll die on. But it seems like that the way the draft is set up, talent wise you're able to get a guy in the second round at the tackle that might be nearly as good as what you can get at the bottom of the first round.
1: Yeah, kind of along those lines, if I had to pick one, I would go with Maurice Jones-Drews, where he has the Colts landing, Virginia Tech offensive tackle Christian Derisaw. Um, He's kind of one of those players where in most mock drafts, he doesn't make it to 21 to the Colts.
0: I, I, I mean, I'll i agree with that. If, if Derrissaw, that's what I'm saying there's if you get to twenty-one and somebody like Darius there, you just take him. Yeah, you don't. You don't say, well, maybe we. No, no, you just take him because most mock drafts, in, including yours, I believe, Darius wasn't there. You're, you're, you're a Jenkins guy. I, I I'm pretty sure Darius wasn't there in yours. So, no. If, if that guy is there, and I'm, not, I'm not talking a receiver that just blows you away. I, you know, I, I like Charlie Casterly. But th- th- this would th- this would not make sense to go receiver in round one. If Darius there, I take him. I don't even think twice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I-, I agree. He's a player. He's kind of the guy who would persuade you not to trade back. But then, if Darius there and the rest of your tackles say you got four tackles you have graded pretty similarly, then maybe trade back to I don't know the back end of the first round. Maybe the Packers want to jump up and grab somebody, and then you can get one of your four. E- closely graded tackles later um i I don't hate the defensive end move but the colts really need their franchise left tackle and you just have to wonder i mean how many actual franchise left tackles are there in this draft are you fine with getting the sixth or seventh and going we think there are six and seven franchise left tackles in this draft or we think there are only three but other teams will pick the wrong ones and the right guy will land to us um I kind of I kind of think offensive tackle I agree with you that it's a bigger need there. Um, if I had to pick a second one, I didn't mind uh Sycamas from the uh, Trevor Sikima from the draft networks. He kind of had it flipped from Mel Kuyper. We had the Colts going Oklahoma State tackled Heaven Jenkins round one and then Joe Tryon from Washington around two. Um, I think they're both two very talented players as well. Um, but we'll see. I mean we got only two more weeks. Until the NFL draft comes up here, uh, several good options will be on the board. And it's time to break down some of those options. This week, we are breaking down the defensive end class. Uh, If you missed last week's show, we broke down the offensive tackles. Mainly just options around one or two. Colts don't have a third round pick, and it's highly unlikely they'll find their starting left tackle in the fourth round. Um, This defensive end class, we kind of have it broken down into tiers here. Tier one. Uh, you got Michigan's quitty Pay, Miami's Jalen Phillips, and then uh, I included Georgia's edge rusher Aziz Ojalari. We can start with Pay. I mean, he he he's just a freaky athlete. 6'2", Six two, two sixty, uh, ran a four five two forty, jumped almost thirty six inches, uh, thirty six bench reps. It, it, just, just really a twitchy player. He has that quick twitch, um, but he's very raw. Over his last 16 games, he has 8.5 sacks, 16 tackles for a loss, 66 total tackles. He played just four games in 2020. The Big Ten kind of had a weird season uh, in college football last year. Played 12 games in 2019. So spread out over a 16-game season, 8.5 sacks. But he has the tools that NFL scouts and evaluators look for to develop into a player who could become a perennial double-digit sack guy. Moving on here, we got Miami's Jalen Phillips, uh, another another freaky athlete. I mean, this guy's 6'5", 260 pounds, 33-plus-inch arms, 36-inch vertical, 10-and-a-half-inch broad jump. Um, I mean, he, he's short shuttle, 4-1-2. That, that shows that burst, that quick burst off the line of scrimmage. And he had production last year. Eight sacks, 15-and-a-half tackles for a loss in 10 games. But his issue is injuries. He actually retired from football after suffering through concussions, ankle injuries, and a, a wrist injury. He actually suffered the wrist injury when he got hit by a car, so that wasn't really football related. But um, he, he had those injuries during his first two years in college, decided to retire after 2018, changed his mind, and then transferred to Miami. And because of the transfer, he was forced to sit out the 2019 season. So he really just has one... Healthy year of tape, uh, and he looked good in that one year. But obviously, those medicals can scare off a lot of teams, and potentially Chris Ballard and the Colts. We'll see. They took a chance on Kamoko Toray, who came out of Rutgers with some injury questions, and that has showed up in the NFL. Um, so, so we'll see how comfortable the Colts are with this guy's medicals. And uh, he's still, like I mentioned before, yet to be evaluated because he caught COVID. Um, so he didn't get to come to Indianapolis for his medical checks. Third guy in the first tier of pass rushers here is Aziz Ojulari out of Georgia. His protein number is 6'2", 249", 34 half inch arms. So he's got long arms. He's got that length. Uh, 30 inch vertical, but a 10'7 broad jump. So he couldn't jump super high, but he can jump super far. I don't know how that works, but that's the numbers he put up. 4-6-2, 40-yard dash, a 7-2-7-3 seven, seven, cone, which isn't bad, and then a 26 uh, reps on the bench there. Ojulari's a player, he's got a lot of speed coming off the edge. Um, he, he's got his one kind of move that gets him, but he needs to add more moves to his repertoire. And he might be a guy who's more of a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's not very big. Uh, he's not even 250, and you know he tried to add weight for his pro day. Um, he's six foot two. This is a guy who the Colts might not find as a great scheme fit. He might be more of a linebacker than a guy defensive end you want there taking on tackles and setting the edge. Mike, as I broke down these three Tier 1 defensive uh, edge rushers, which one do you think best fits with the Colts?
0: Probably Phillips. Uh, they, they they love the athleticism and the speed, and, and you know the long arms and all that. But again, like he said, he's one of those guys with with the butt at the end of his evaluation. The, with the one season, great season. Uh, so, but but that's why it's going to be so. And, and, and this will in, include the other tier guys. Is it's going to be so important for Chris Ballard and his scouts? say okay in this case we've got such a small sample size but boy it just jumps off the table how does that you know how does that translate moving forward this is a guy again who like so many of these draft picks in any draft that they've just scratched the surface of what they're going to do and then it's up to the team to to make sure he he fits with what you've got back in the day Jerry Hughes just really didn't fit in what they wanted to do, whether it was three, four, four, three, didn't work. You've got to make sure that the guy, maybe especially at this position, because they they they've not gotten it done yet. They've really got to make sure that they don't don't miss on this again. But this guy seems to be a pretty good scheme fit.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, I would love Phillips. The injuries scare me. I mean, I I think Pay and Phillips are kind of neck and neck right now, and it's kind of. What scares you more, the injury history or the lack of production? Um, and so I guess that's for teams to sort out and for they get their doctor's hands on these guys and figure out how comfortable they are with Phillips. Moving on here to our Tier 2, these guys are borderline first-round picks, kind of on that bubble, could sneak in, could be second-rounders. Uh, at the top is Miami's Greg Rousseau, and this is a player whose his stock has kind of fallen a little bit. He used to be considered in that top tier. Um, but he's another player who, like Phillips, really just has one year of production, and he didn't quite impress like Phillips did at his pro day. He's a long player. He's six six and a half, uh, two hundred sixty six pounds, nearly thirty five inch arms. So he has that elite length. Only a thirty inch vertical, nine seven broad jump, ran a forty in the low four sevens. Uh, his shuttle wasn't great, a four. Four five three cone wasn't great, which kind of shows your agility, your ability to move um, diagonally in close quarters. There, uh, your lateral movement it was a seven five three cone, twenty one bench reps. Uh, really not that impressive athleticism shown in his pro day there, uh, but you do like the length. In terms of production, played just two games as a freshman before fracturing his ankle. Started 7 out of 13 games in 2019 on his way to racking up 15 and a half sacks, 54 tackles. He really flashed. And then he opted out of 2020. So this is a player who, man, he doesn't show the elite athleticism during his workouts. He had great production in 2019. But other than 2019, you really don't have much on the guy. So he's a huge question mark. Moving down the list here, another question mark you got uh, Penn State defensive end Jason Oway. We've talked about him before. He's got the length, 6'5", 34 half inch arms, 257, freak athlete, maybe the best athlete in this draft, 39 half inch vertical, 11-2 broad jump, a 6 6'40", is just absurd, and then a six eight four three cone, so he's a really shifty player, but zero sacks last season. A lot of quarterback pressures. Zero sacks last season, really difficult to invest a first rounder in someone who didn't get to the quarterback, or get him on the ground at least, at all in 2020. And our last player in Tier 2 here is Washington's Joe Tryon, another athletically gifted player, 6'5", 259", 34-inch arms, 35-inch vertical jump, 9'8", broad jump. He ran a 40-yard dash in the mid-4 sixes at his pro day. Uh, had a solid three-cone as well, seven one eight. That's a very good three-cone. And in his production, 8.5 sacks, 12.5 tackles for a loss, and 41 total tackles in his lone season as a starter, which was 2019. Tryon opted out in 2020. So, Mike, of these three players, uh, maybe one of these guys falls to the Colts in round two. Maybe they trade back the back end of the first round and pick one of these guys, and maybe they just reach for one of them at twenty-one if they like them that much. But which one of these three players do you think best fits the Colts?
0: Probably Russo, I guess. I mean, I again at twenty-one, none of them just really blows me off the charts. I, I, I just there is so much risk involved with the draft anyway, and then when you have so many question marks about each one of these guys. I mean, like you say, you know, Jason Alway with he, he, such a, he's such a physical player, physical specimen in what he does athletically. But ha- how do you get past the zero sacks? And I know he had a ton of pressures, but, you know, primarily the job is to finish the deal, seal the deal, and get the guy on the ground. So I guess Rousseau, but this is one where I say with all these options, if pass rushes is, is where you go in round one, then then that's where trading back really seems like the best move. Or you wait, get your tackle in round one, and try to get one of these guys. Not try. One of these guys will be there at 54. And if you're afraid at 54, he may be gone, then you move up a little bit. But I just wish some of these guys could could alleviate my concerns over investing a first or second round pick because – They've got they've got guys that they hope come through w- with Bannigu and Torrey and Lewis and and on and on. They need more of a sure thing, and I just don't see a sure thing in any one of these guys.
1: No, no. Hey, if they were, they'd probably be a top five pick. Correct. <laughs> um, so moving on down the list here, if I had to give my answer, this was really tough. Um, I'm kind of leaning Washington's Joe Tryon. He seems to have the best combination of athleticism and production. Um, He had the best pro day numbers and production combined. Uh, It's hard not to fall in love with Owe's workout, but those second round, great. First round, 21, a player with zero sacks. I can't get behind that. Greg Rousseau, he scares me. He just kind of seems like that one-year wonder, that flash player that some team's going to fall for. And then he just can't quite get it done in the NFL. But maybe he'll prove me wrong. We'll see. Um, I'd be happy with either three of these players at 54. At 21, it's a bit rich. Maybe they go somewhere in between to try and get one of these guys. Um, but moving on to Tier 3 here. These are guys who are expected to be Day 2 picks, second or third rounders. At the top of the list, we have Wake Forest's Carlos Boogie Basham. His pro day numbers were not spectacular, but they were solid. He's a big guy, 6'3", 274, um, arms a little on the short side, not quite 33 inches, 34-inch vertical, 10-2 broad jump. Those are pretty solid numbers for a guy who's 275 pounds. Ran a 46440 4'25", shuttle, and a seven one three three cone. Also threw up 20 bench reps as well. And he has pretty solid production, 16 sacks, and 23 and a half tackles for loss, 85 total tackles in his last 19 games. That's 2021 and 2022 combined. So he he just seems like a solid all-around player, almost like a Danico Autry type guy. Kind of that bigger defensive end. And can kind of control the edge and then shift inside on uh, obvious passing downs. Next in tier three, we have Houston's Peyton Turner. And he had a really impressive pro day. He's over six foot five inches tall, almost two hundred seventy pounds. He has arms that are over thirty five inches long, thirty six inch vertical, four, six, five, 40 yard dash. Uh, pro Football Focus said he had a six seven zero three cone, which is absurd for a man of his size. A four two five shuttle and threw up twenty three bench reps. He was a three year starter, and, and he really started to come on as uh, in his final year. At Houston. In 2020, he had five sacks and 10.5 tackles for a loss in just five games. Uh, you get me a sack a game, I'll be pretty happy with that. Um, so Peyton Turner definitely shows that upside. Hasn't quite put it together over several years like uh, Boogie Basham has, but maybe he has a higher ceiling. Moving on, Texas' Joseph Asai, who actually played linebacker in college, but does have some experience with his hand in the ground, rushing off the edge. Uh, he's over 6'3", 256 pounds, 33 and seven eighths inch arms, so almost 34-inch arms, a ridiculous 41 and a half inch vertical jump, 10 11 broad jump, showing that explosive athleticism there. He ran a 4-6-5-40. that's plenty fast enough. Uh, threw up 19 bench reps as well. And over his past two seasons, 164 tackles, 10 and a half sacks, and almost 30 tackles for a loss. Um, again, so many tackles because he played linebacker, uh, not not a true defensive end at Texas. Last player in tier three we have Oklahoma's Ronnie Perkins. He He probably had the least impressive pro day here. Uh, shade under six foot three, 253 pounds. Um, under 33 inch arms at 32 and 78 inches, 32 inch vertical, 97 broad jump, 474 40 yard dash. A disgusting 4-7-8 shuttle. Uh, that, that's really bad numbers there. Getting off the line of scrimmage. Also had 25 bench reps. He was productive. He was productive in college. He had 16 and a half sacks and 32 tackles for a loss in three seasons, including five and a half sacks in six games in 2020. And Perkins was Pro Football Focus' is only edge rusher in this draft class to have 90 plus grades in both run defense and pass rushing last season, 2020. Last note on Perkins here, he was suspended after reportedly failing a drug test. Uh, that's why he played such few games in 2020, because he was suspended for some of them. So, Mike, we got Boogie Bash and Peyton Turner, Joseph Asai, and Ronnie Perkins here. Uh, these are expected, maybe second, third round picks. Who do you think would be the best fit for Indianapolis?
0: Boy, I don't know if defer to you on these. Uh, Peyton Turner, maybe. Uh, I, 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 I. First of all, they don't have a third round pick, so that that's a, that's a non-starter. I don't think I think these guys will be off off their boards because they've they've got a they've got to address this with one of the tier one or two tier or tier two guys you've got listed here. So I, I'm going to defer to you. These are just names and numbers that mean very little to me. <laughs>
1: I'll go with Peyton Turner. I think he has the athletic upside that the Colts look for. I mean, you look at their past investments through the draft at an edge, ruther, edge rusher. They've always gone after those athletically gifted players. Um, if not Turner, maybe they go for more of the quote-unquote sure thing and Carlos Basham, who may not have a very high ceiling but should be a solid player in the pros. Uh, like I said, a Denico Autry-like player, uh, although Peyton Turner is same size, if not bigger than Basham, and more athletic, so he certainly has higher upside. I don't think Joseph Asai is a good fit. Um, he kind of he, he actually reminds me of um, Banigu, who played also played linebacker in college. Um, and then Ronnie Perkins, uh, I think, might be a better college player than he is an NFL player. His athleticism just doesn't quite project to a star defensive end in the NFL. So I'll go with Peyton Turner. Um, You know, Maybe the Colts go with a second round on one of these guys if the top options are available. Maybe they trade back and regain their third round pick and take one of these guys. We'll see. One more defensive end I do want to mention, uh, a day three uh, type player, so rounds four through seven, is Vanderbilt's Deo Odangbo. Uh, I had to kind of include the pronunciation there. But Deo Odangbo, he's a raw player with exciting physical tools. But he's going later in the draft because he tore his Achilles before the Senior Bowl. At his pro day, he measured in 6'5", about 280 pounds, 35-plus-inch arms. And he had some production his final year at Vanderbilt. He led Vandy with 5.5 sacks, 8.5 tackles for a loss in 8 games in 2020. So he might be a player in round four or five that the Colts say, hey, we know he's just coming off a torn Achilles. He might not be able to be a star for us this year, but athletically gifted player at a position where you can never have enough talent at defensive end or pass rusher. So he's the name to keep an eye on as well.
0: I, I, I would be against this for two reasons. First, I don't want to have to spell this every other <laughs> day during the season. And, and, and second, with this being a fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh round pick, they have other needs other than than taking a flyer on, on an injured pass rusher. We're talking tight end, linebacker, corner, uh, and, and receiver. So I'm glad you mentioned this, this kid's name and wish him the best. I just hope he's not an in indie. <laughs> Got
1: it. <laughs> Mike does not want to spell his name, and I gotta tell you I couldn't want to spell. I wouldn't want to spell his name either. Well, that'll just about do it for us today on the Colt's Blue Zone podcast. Remember to subscribe and download. please download. That's uh, really the only numbers that uh, my company cares about there. Um, follow us on Twitter at Colt's Blue Zone. For the latest Colts news, notes, and analysis throughout the week, you can follow Mike on Twitter at mchapel51. Follow me on Twitter at rotostreetjoe. Oh, and by the way, Colts fans, our next two podcasts will be dropping on Wednesday. So next Wednesday is when the next Colts Blue Zone podcast will come out, and then the Wednesday before the draft as well uh, will be when the following episode comes out. So we're not doing Thursdays the next couple weeks wednesday so be sure to look out for us there mike any last uh any anything to say before we uh close this one
0: no it's just it's hard to believe we're still two weeks away from the draft it seems like it's been coming and coming and coming so it will be nice to finally have it here
1: it will It'll be nice to finally have it i believe the draft is in cleveland this year correct that'll do it for us colts fans you guys take it easy and we will talk to you next week